David, welcome, sir. Good morning, or morning, should I say morning. afternoon. Uh, it's a great honor to be speaking in front of you all today. Uh, what I have to present is something the Lord's put on my heart a couple of months before I volunteered to speak, and I've been very excited about it. I want to remind you all about a sermon series that was preached in 2017. My hope is that you will have these sermons on your mind as you go through this next year. I want to talk about the David sermon series that Brother Jonathan went over in great detail during that time. This series was 15 sermons long, and in time it was about 12 hours, 42 minutes, and 36 seconds long. And that's not including the opening before each first service. Now, he had 15 sermons in 12 hours. I have one sermon in 20 minutes. Well, now probably 19. So, unfortunately, I cannot relay all the traits of David that I would like to, but I have chosen five of my favorites, and I'd like to go over them today. I do hope that you will re-listen to the sermons with your families to start off the new year. So let's go. The first trait of David that I chose for today was my personal favorite, heart like God's heart. We get this phrase from two passages of scripture, one being in Acts 13.22 and the other one in 1 Samuel 13.14. The one in 1 Samuel reads, But now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart, and the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. Do you remember the context of this verse? Samuel was talking to Saul after Saul just sacrificed or made a sacrifice and was impatient for Samuel's arrival. God chose David over Saul. God chose David over Jonathan, the rightful heir to the throne after Saul. And also, God chose David over all of his brothers. In chapter 16, we read that when God sent Samuel to the house of Jesse, Samuel was certain without a doubt that Eliab, the oldest brother, was the man that God had sent him to be king. But the Lord said in verse 6, Look not on his countenance, or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. I love David. He's my favorite Bible character. I love him because God loved him. I love him because in most every situation, he answered in such graciousness, wisdom, and godliness. This is because David kept his heart with all diligence against any sins, inputs, or vain thoughts. All throughout the Psalms, David wrote things like, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I will early destroy the wicked. Commune with your own heart upon thy bed and be still. Let the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord. I hate vain thoughts, but thy law do I love. This is David committing his, to guard his heart before the Lord. If you are as committed as David was to keeping his heart, the rest of these traits will be much easier for you to learn because this is the foundation for which we should build our character upon. The entire point of us being here in this building, in this world, is to be more like God and more like his son, Jesus Christ. That's why we call ourselves Christians, because we claim to be like Christ. So do you want to know what the heart of God is like in his son? He gives it to us through the Psalms and through the man after his own heart. The second trait that I chose for today is extraordinary love of God. Let me ask you, how much do you think David loved God? Is it clear? How do we define it? Well, last week my brother Daniel gave 
a really creative way of showing how God loves us and how we should love him back uh, more and more. So I want to apply that same tactic to David. How did he love him through the five love languages? Well, let's go through them. Words of affirmation. What did David say to the Lord? Psalm 18.1, I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. Or how about, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. You, right. Do you hear the passion in his words? What about gifts? What kind of gifts did David give the Lord? How about a temple that David wanted to build him but couldn't, so he immediately decided to pay for it? I won't get into much detail about that for reasons I'll be explained later. What about acts of service? Did David do any acts? Yes, he did incredible acts before the Lord in his entire lifetime. He killed Goliath when he was blaspheming his God. He danced before the Lord with all of his might. He was spontaneous through zeal and structured through planning. He made musical instruments for the praise of God, and he orchestrated them to play, or people to play them, excuse me. He fought and conquered many of Israel's enemies, and many more can be said. What about physical touch? Now, as Daniel pointed out last week, we can't, and David couldn't physically touch God, but he wrote that he metaphorically loved being in the secret place of his tabernacle and being held underneath his protective arm against all who wished to bring him harm. Lastly, what about quality time? Again, all throughout the Psalms, David wrote things like he would praise him seven times a day. He would think about him as the day goes on. He would think about him at night on his bed. He was a night muser with God. That was another trait that I'm not going to go into today. But he just talked to him as though in a conversation. We read that through the Psalms. And think about the level of conversation David had with him in 2 Samuel 7 when he talked about building him a temple. Just think about that. So that all being said, we know that David loved the Lord. Do we love him like he did? What exploits are we going to do in 2019 to prove it? The third trait of David that I chose was profound effect on others. No matter what choices we make in life, we have an effect on everyone we meet, positive or negative. The effect that David had on everyone he met was that everyone loved him. Everyone. First of all, David had an impeccable reputation even as a teenager. And many men from the beginning followed David for his exceptional character in various ways. He won the heart of King Saul through his music and speech. He won the heart of Jonathan, an older prince who loved him more than a brother and wanted him to have the, the throne, even though he was the rightful heir. He quickly won the hearts of the whole nation of Israel through his acts of heroism and zeal. He won the heart of Michal, the king's daughter, who loved David, though her father hated him. And when David fled from Saul, many men followed him. There were mighty men of Zebulon, experts in war, who had a single heart for David. He had mighty men that did many exploits. Three of them lit, uh, risked their lives for water from Beth Bethlehem excuse me, uh, uh, for David. There were 600 Gittites of the Goliath city of Gath yes. who became David's personal bodyguards. <laughs> I love that. There were also Cherethites and Pelethites, areas of Philistia that followed David. And many kings and princes loved David. Saul, Jonathan, Achish, King Moab, and Hiram. So what do so bottom line, uh, for, for all this, we see the effect that David had on people, but what kind of effect do we have on people? Do we bring people closer to the Lord by the effect we have on people? What do people think of when they hear our names? Is it positive or negative? Lord help us to be more like David. Yes, amen.
The fourth trait I chose for today was loved praising the Lord. David is the greatest praise and worship leader in the Bible, or ever since. His psalms are full of praise, and they lift the heart and mind by passionate declaration. He emphasized praise in many of his psalms. Psalm 71.8, he wrote, Let my mouth be filled with thy praise and with thy honor all the day. In the same chapter, in verse 14, he wrote, But I will continually, oh, excuse me, but I, but I will hope continually, and will yet praise thee more and more. Amen. More and more? Yes. Does that sound familiar? Yeah. Higher ground. I love it. That's what David's purpose was in life. More praise, more love, and more passion for the Lord. A great way to test how much you love to praise God is to ask, how excited do I get when we sing songs talking about the Lord and praise the Lord? You know, like crown him with many crowns or praise him, praise him. That's another thing about David. He was a, he was a musician. He loved singing, poetic lyrics, instruments, players, choir, etc. So, do we get excited to sing songs to the Lord? Do you sing in your car? Do you hum in your cubicle? Do you sing when you're down or depressed? Let's have more praise in our lives as David would. Amen. Lord, let us be more like him. And just a little rabbit trail. Another great way that you can show your love for praising God in 2019, say amen more. Say yes. I agree with that. Say that more. It's a great thing to, to say because it's saying that you are excited to be here and you want to be here, and that's what David would do. Do you think, Dave, do you think David would be quiet? No, I doubt it. He was zealous and excited. Be, be a Zach Pipkin. Be outgoing. And if it's not, it doesn't come naturally for you. Sorry, Zach, I'm picking on you. But if it doesn't come naturally for you, that means you're giving something to the Lord. Right. You know? Anyway. Finally, the last trait I wanted to bring to you all today is sins didn't stop him. David was an exceptional man. But it wasn't perfect. Scripture records great sins that David committed against the Lord. He sinned by murderous anger at Nabal, by polygamy, by moving the Ark of the Covenant contrary to God's law, by not killing Joab for murder. He sinned by adultery and aggravated cause due to his harem, by murder, conspiracy to kill a friend in battle, by collateral damage, killing others by foolish tactics. He sinned by hasty judgment to believe slander of Ziba. He sinned by numbering Israel in pride, costing 70,000 lives. He sinned as a father and king by allowing the sedition of his son. He sinned by missing Absalom's sedition and by grieving more for the, the traitor Absalom than his own men. We realize from the Psalms that David had somewhat of a melancholy temperament. These sins would depress most beyond the point of recovery. But David understood the R factor, so much so that he wrote Psalm 103, which reads, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He, will, he hath not dealt with us after our sins, Amen. nor reward us according to our iniquities. Right. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. And I could keep going, but I'd finish the rest of the chapter. David understood the R factor. He knew that he was forgiven for his sins when Nathan, the prophet, told him, 
the Lord hath forgiven thee. And he became great, if not greater, after his sins. So last year, let's say in 2018, you didn't do so well. You weren't as close to the Lord as you should have been. Or let's say you did okay, but you could have or should have done better. Well, I have a three-step solution to help you. Three R's. Repent, remove, run. Repent for all the sins that you've done. Remove the weights and sins that are holding you back. And go run a marathon. Another trait that uh, Brother Jonathan had was exploited his retirement years. This is David after he sinned, after he failed. But he did many exploits in those times. Because he knew that the Lord had forgiven him. And that there was a crown of righteousness that was waiting for him in heaven. So in conclusion, what are we doing to be more like David? Are we guarding our hearts every single day? It's a fight we have to fight. Do we love God? Do we show that love through our words and actions? What's the effect that we have on people? Is it positive or negative? Do we praise the Lord more than anyone else? Are we trying to outdo each other in praise in a a loving way? And do we get too melancholy sometimes for our sins? Or do we get up and start running again, saying, well, that was dumb. I'm not going to do that again. I'm going to push for the mark. Will you take these traits and learn from them? Will you review the sermons from 2017 with your families and add on to these? I love each and every one of you, and I want us to all be more like this man, the man after God's own heart. Thank you for your close attention. May the Lord be magnified. Wow, there's a lot there. Thank you, brother. Thank you for that preparation and excellent execution of that. Thank you. Thank you for picking out five and bringing them to our remembrance. Now, Jonah, you're slated to come up next. Would you like us to sing What Shall We Render Now or After You Speak? After is fine? Okay, welcome to the podium, sir. We're excited. I also will be reviewing the sermon series from 2017 about the traits of David, and I am very excited about this. David and I did pick our topics independently. I saw his name on the list on the email the pastor sent out to us, and I said, hey, what's your topic? Just don't accidentally pick it. And he's like, well, actually, so I was thinking about redoing the David sermon series. I was like, oh, come on, are you serious? Like, independently, we chose it, which is, it's, it's awesome, and I'm very thankful for that. I'm thankful also Zach independently chose his topic from us, and so I think this is something we all can benefit from, we should benefit from. Amen. It's easily worth the 60 minutes instead of the 20 minutes of us three doing it versus one. What I want us to get from this today, and I just a couple points from the pastor's introduction in the sermon series, he asked, he said, each point you need to ask yourself, am I like that? Do others know that about me? And so we should be thinking, how can I be more like that? There's only value here, as in any preaching, if we repent to change and conform our lives to be more like David. So I'm just going to jump in here because I have too much material, but the, the first trait, very similar to the one David had delighted in God himself, very similar to extraordinary love of God, but he delighted. And so the, the love, that's more of an action thing. This is more of a mindset. And it's one of the traits I love about him because it set him apart. You know, why was, why was so much more of the Bible written about David than anybody else? And I think this is one of those because he loved the Lord and he delighted and he spent time thinking about the Lord. Right. And just, I, I want to read a couple lists the pastor put together. These are the words of David himself about his delight. And I want you to consider some of the different shades of meaning in each of the words. 
delight, boast. And there's verses for each of those, several on most of them. Delight, boast, glory, rejoice, glad, pleasure, and sweetness. And that's how he felt about the Lord. He, all of those things, those are actions that you do and that you think about all the time. That, that's, you know, Zach used the word obsessed. He was obsessed. Another list about some of his passion, and his, this results in actions. This delight, it results in actions. Some of the words that he used, bless, exalt, love, dance, praise, sing, play, boast, muse, remember, worship, build, invent, shout, clap, meditate, magnify, triumph, and it could go on. That's what, it had, that's what put him apart from everybody else because that was the focus of his life. This is better than the light we could have in the Bible, in the church. Even though we should have those things, the only reason we come to church is so we can delight in the Lord and love right. each other and love the Lord in that way. But delight in the Lord. And you all know Psalm 27.4. Why did he want to dwell in the house of the Lord? To behold the beauty of the Lord. That's Amen. what he wanted. That was his, his great ambition desire and thrill. It was God alone. And if you love God, you're going to love the works of God. That's the second trait, and I love this trait. There are so many verses. Just read the book of Psalms. Open a psalm. Read it. Enjoy it. That's what David did. That's what all those psalms were him talking about the Lord. He loved God's works of creation. Uh, I love some of these. Psalm 104, 24. Oh Lord, how manifold are thy works! Exclamation point. In wisdom hast thou made them all. The earth is full of thy riches. Yes. So was this great and wide sea, ran our things, creeping innumerable, both great and small beasts. There go the ships. There is that Leviathan, whom thou hast made to play therein. And it continues, but I don't have time to read the rest of it. The Lord would, uh, Let me actually read another verse farther down. Verse 31 in Psalm 104. The glory of the Lord shall endure forever. The Amen. Lord shall rejoice in his works. And the Lord rejoices in his works. We are a work of God. Do we rejoice in his works? How about Psalm 136? You know, the whole psalm, it's about the works of God. Half it's about creation, about his deliverances. Speaking of deliverances, his works of providence in our lives. David loved those works, and he talked about them a lot. The whole Psalm 107, I don't have time. Go read it. It's awesome. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness. And there's circumstances detailed in there where the Lord would deliver men. And then we should praise him for it. We should love those works. Psalm 37, 23. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. That's the Lord delighting in our way, and he orders our steps. God, David loved God's works of salvation. And I have so many verses here. Salvation, eternal salvation, spiritual salvation, many different aspects of just physical salvation. How about this one? Psalm 62, verse 2. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. Amen. And then further down the psalm, He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. Not just I shall not be greatly moved, not moved at all. Right. And God is my salvation and my glory. The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. And David loved that. He loved God's works of judgment. I have ten verses here. I don't have time to read them. He loved God work, God's works of personal deliverance back to salvation, one aspect of that. He loved his works of answered prayer. And in our church, we love that. We're always, we want to thank the Lord as much as we ask for it. 
That's what David did. He loved those works. And we can go on and on. But do we love the works of God? Do we talk about them with each other? That's what I want to get from that. And here's this is where, this is where I really want to get going. So I mixed a couple of traits together here because they're similar, and I, I wanted to cover all of them. But that is, he was passionate, zealous, and he went above and beyond the call of duty. Most Christians, and I'm afraid that it's us sometimes, and I don't want it to be us, but we default to the bare minimum we need to avoid correction, maybe exclusion. We should not be like that. If anything's worth doing, and anything for God is worth doing, then it is worth doing passionately. And that's what I want us to get today is I think, I know, we could all be a little more passionate like David was. Whatsoever thy hand find to do, do it with thy might. Duty, and the pastor emphasizes this a lot, and if you go back to the sermons Zach listed about happiness is a choice, duty is worthless. And if we're just doing duty because it's something we have to do, it's, clo- it's worth really close to nothing, and David would do better. That's why God loved David, because he did do better. We should be always zealously affected in a good thing, like Galatians 4 says. And David and Zach talked about Goliath. You want to talk about passion. He walks up to the battlefield. He sees this huge giant blaspheming God, and he sees nobody's doing anything about it. And so he immediately asks, what are you guys doing? And then they say Saul is going to offer a reward. Are you serious? Is there not a cause? There is a cause. Who cares about the reward? you got to shut his blaspheming mouth. Right. And then, you know, he was, he was so zealous. He didn't sit there. He didn't, you know, oh, i got to practice for a week, make sure I'm good enough. He didn't say that. He didn't even put on any armor. He trusted the Lord. He trusted what the Lord had gave him in ability. And then he went and he, he ran and he did it. And I want us to do things like that and to run. That's the, that's the verb it uses. He ran. How about David inventing things? David mentioned... David Jones mentioned David's zeal for music. I mean, are you serious? 150 psalms, some recorded twice. You know, that's what the the children of Israel sung. And even in the New Testament, it tells us to sing psalms from David in the Old Testament. How about the music for the the temple? And I don't know if you guys know this, but there was 4,000 men that he arranged to sing at the temple at all times, day and night. Most orchestras we hear... Maybe a few hundred people. I'm just trying to imagine 4,000 men singing and playing for the Lord, and it's awesome. That's the way David thought. He went above and beyond. Who else thinks like that? No one else thinks like that. That's what he did. And then he invented new songs and new instruments. He's the one who made all the music for them. And then the temple. And so this was also mentioned, but I, I love this so much. The zeal he had for the temple. Where did that come from? The passion of his heart. First Chronicles 28.2 Then David the king stood upon his feet and said, Hear me, my brethren and my people. As for me, I had in mine heart to build an house of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord and for the footstool of our God and had made ready for the building. He had it in his heart. That's not just duty. That's, that's way beyond duty. And like they said, you know, the Lord said, No, you're too bloody. I'm not going to have you build it. He said, okay, I'll pay for it. And then when he said he wanted to pay for it, he wanted it as expensive as possible. If it's coming out of my pocket, I want to give as much as possible to the Lord. Right. It's for God, not man. It deserves gathering with all our might. And so we can't build a temple for the Lord, but we can build a temple for the Lord here with each other, and that deserves all our might. First Chronicles twenty-two fourteen. 
Now behold, in my trouble, I have prepared for the house... Oh, wrong, sorry, wrong verse. Getting ahead of myself. First Chronicles 29, 1. Furthermore, David the king said unto all the congregation, Solomon my son, whom alone God hath chosen, is yet young and tender, and the work is great. For the palace is not for man, but for the Lord God. Now I have prepared with all my might for the house of my God, the gold for things to be made of gold, the silver for things of silver. And it goes on through how he wanted to do it. And this is, I, the, so the pastor talked about this when he went through the sermon series, that it was a lot. And he mentioned innumerable amounts of brass, iron. But I, wanna, I was curious, how much did David actually give to the Lord? Like, we know it's a lot, but I, I, wanted, I was curious. First Chronicles twenty two fourteen. Now behold, in my trouble, I have prepared for the house of the Lord an hundred thousand talents of gold, and a thousand thousand talents of silver, and of brass and iron, without weight. For it is in abundance. Timber also and stone have I prepared, and thou mayest add thereto. Now let's just say, for the purpose of this, that a talent is a hundred pounds. It's a pretty decent estimate. We really don't know. So a thousand talents, a hundred thousand talents of gold is ten million pounds of gold, one hundred and sixty million ounces of gold, and gold is around thirteen hundred dollars an ounce. So that means the amount of gold that David gave the Lord was equal, roughly, to two hundred and eight billion dollars today. Now I didn't say anything else about the silver. What about the silver? We're up over two hundred and thirty billion dollars, just the gold and silver. Now don't forget, he also had brass, iron, stone, and cedars. So much they couldn't weigh it. Now they could weigh a million talents. <laughs> well, how could they not weigh it? How much is that? It's ridiculous. I don't, I don't even. I don't even understand how much that is. That's what David wanted to give the Lord. And then he says, "And thou mayest add thereto." And so it was even more. And that. What are we giving the Lord? Is it? Is it costly? That was costly. And the Lord rewarded him for it. Mm-hmm. Let's give something costly to the Lord. Some more about passion. He, under, he understood, there's a verse in Malachi that says, But cursed be the deceiver which hath in his flock a male, and voweth, and sacrifices unto the Lord a corrupt thing. For I am a great king, saith the Lord of hosts, and my name is dreadful among the heathen. And David understood that, and he always, that's, he was always giving his best. Are we giving our best? We vowed, like that verse says, we all have vowed. Well, I haven't. I'm off the hook. The pastor won't baptize me. But we all have vowed. <laughs> <laughs> we, everyone else in here has vowed to give the Lord their best and I want to give the Lord my best David always gave the Lord his best he's a great king God is a great king and he deserves it how about some more about some passion some, some other events he, when he moved the ark he danced with all his might so much that his wife was ashamed of him and then he went and fed all of Israel a nice piece of meat and wine that's some passion right there this is, this is a good one, and I hope that none of you are confused. When he destroyed the nation of Ammon, he punished them with saws and brick kilns. And that is some passion for the Lord, because they were wicked, and they deserved it, and the Lord told them to do it. And so he went all the way. That's the way we should look at it. If there's something we need to get bloody, as Zach said, get bloody, give it a saw. Cut it in pieces and throw it in a brick kiln and burn it. That's, what we, that's, that's how we should go. That's how we should do it. That's how David did it. He also mentioned the foreskins. So he said he brought 200, but then he also he counted them out one by one for Saul. That's pretty passionate. 
being average is not enough. And that's what I want to get mostly from today. I, we can be exceptional. We should be exceptional. Amen. And we should do it with some passion. Amen. Let's do it. The next one, the next trait, he ruled his passionate spirit. And this is huge. If anyone here is passionate, they know this is a problem. And it's sometimes hard to rule your spirit. You have high highs, you have low lows. When you're up there, sometimes you can get angry. Sometimes you can, you know, have moods. And David ruled that spirit. Even though he was so passionate, he ruled it. And he, he was always under control for the Lord's glory. You want an example about passion? How about Saul? Oh, yeah, he was passionate, for sure. Yep. For the wrong things. He was moody, angry, impulsively violent, and profane. How about that sacrifice? He couldn't. He was hasty and impetuous. He couldn't rule his spirit and just wait a couple minutes. How about this one? He killed all of the priests and all their wives and children out of jealousy towards David. That's, that's some passion. That's some impulsive violence. He violently tried to kill David countless times. And so that's an example of someone who had passion but didn't rule it. And we don't want to be like that at all. I, this is some of, my favorite, some of my favorite chapters I've read recently, 1 Samuel 24 and 1 Samuel 26. Just imagine for a second that you're a servant of a king. The nation loves you. You have always served the king perfectly with zeal and graciousness. You loved and you have formed a friendship with the king's son. You have loved and married the king's daughter. After destroying all his enemies, so you could get those 200 foreskins for him. And yet, the king hates you, chases you for years, and seeks your life many times. That was David. David could have killed Saul easily. He could have despised him, but he didn't do it. He could have overthrown Saul and taken the nation for popularity, sedition, or treason, but he did not. And I'm just trying to imagine. It's hard for me to believe all that Saul did to David, that he would not be angry, bitter, but he ruled his, it's, it's unbelievable, he ruled his spirit. I just want to read some verses. I wish I could read all of 1 Samuel 24 and 26 because it's awesome. Go read them. They're great. But I just want to read some of those verses. In 1 Samuel 24, it starts. And it came to pass, when Saul was returned from following the Philistines, that it was told him, saying, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men upon the rocks of the wild goats. And he came by the sheep copse by the way, where was a cave. And Saul went in to cover his feet. And David and his men remained in the sides of the cave. And the men of David said unto him, Behold, the day of which the Lord said unto thee, Behold, I will deliver thine enemy into thine hand, and that, that thou mayest do to him as it shall seem good unto thee. Then David arose and cut off the skirt of Saul's robe privily. And it came to pass afterward that David's heart smote him because he had cut off Saul's skirt. Small side note. What a sensitive conscience. Right. And then he says, And he said unto the men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing unto my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch forth mine hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. So David stayed his servants with these words and suffered them not to rise against Saul. But Saul rose up out of the cave and went on his way. David could have killed him, and according to his men, he should have killed him. It seems like the Lord gave him a perfect opportunity, but he was so humble, and he would not touch him because he was the Lord's king. He ruled his spirit perfectly. And then a little later, this is the best part. In verse 16, so David just confronted him for chasing him after 
he sees him later, he's like, shows him the piece that he cut off of his robe, and he confronts him for chasing him without cause. And then Saul answers, And it came to pass when David had made an end of speaking these words unto Saul, that Saul said, Is this thy voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. And he said to David, Thou art more righteous than I, for thou hast rewarded me good, whereas I have rewarded thee evil. And thou hast showed this day how thou hast, thou hast dwelt well with me, for as much as when the Lord had delivered me into thine hand, thou killedst me not. For if a man find his enemy, will he let him go well away? Wherefore, the Lord reward thee good for that thou hast done unto me this day. And now behold, I know well that thou shalt surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in thine hand. How could Saul say those things about David? Unbelievable. He hated David. David had just confronted him. But then, here's a list of what Saul just said in case he didn't catch it. Saul cries, calls David his son, proclaims David, David's righteousness, asks the Lord to bless David for his righteousness. And then he says he knows David's going to be king and he's going to have the kingdom. How can that happen from Saul's profane mouth? Because David was gracious and he ruled his spirit in the way that he confronted him. He didn't get angry. He didn't make a scene. That's how we should be. I, don't, I, don't, I really don't understand how David could do that, how he wasn't bitter and angry. But he had that perfect response, and I love it. And it happens. It literally happens twice. First Samuel 26, and you, you know these stories, but they're awesome. So David and Abishai come, and they find Saul and all his men sleeping. And Abishai said to David, God hath delivered thine enemy into thine hand this day. Now therefore, let me smite him, I pray thee, with a spear even to the earth at once, and I will not smite him the second time. I mean, what are you going to do there? You have your enemy. The Lord's already given him to you once. You let him go. It happens again. And this time your nephew's like, let me at him. Let me, let me at him. David said to Abishai, destroy him not, for who can stretch forth his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? David said, furthermore, As the Lord liveth, the Lord shall smite him, or his day shall come to die, for he shall descend into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should stretch forth my hand against the Lord's anointed. But I pray thee, take thou now the spear that is at his bolster and the cruise of water, and let us go. So David took the spear and the cruise of water from Saul's bolster, and they got them away. And no man saw it nor knew it, neither awaked, for they were all asleep. Because a deep sleep from the Lord was fallen upon them. And this time it specifically says it was from the Lord. And yet David still didn't do anything. I mean, what an opportunity. The Lord puts him asleep for you, but David didn't see it that way, and he ruled his spirit. It's awesome. He confronts Saul and Abner later again, and these, this response is just as good as the first one. Saul, then said Saul, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will no more do thee harm, because my soul is precious in thine eyes this day. Behold, I have played the fool and have erred exceedingly. And then verse down to verse 25, it says, Then Saul said to David, Blessed be thou, my son David. Thou shalt both do great things and also shalt still prevail. So David went on his way and Saul returned to his place. David ruled his spirit and we all can do better that way, especially us passionate people. David could have killed Shimei when he cursed David. But he ruled his spirit because he knew why the event occurred. The Lord was judging him, and he didn't kill him. He perfectly handled the death of his son by 
his uh, adultery with Bathsheba. When his son died, he didn't curse. He didn't lift up his fist toward God. He didn't ask why. He just asked the Lord to save his life. And then when he didn't, he got up and he ate again. And he ruled his spirit. This is, this is a good thought, I think. Elijah and Jonah, other good, righteous, passionate men, they asked for suicide sometimes when they were depressed. But David didn't do that. He ruled his spirit. And he just, like Zach saying, he talked to himself, talked himself out of it, asked the Lord to help him get out of it. And we can be like that. Let's rule our spirits. Last trait. David was not content. Contentment about circumstances is very good and it is godly, but not contentment about performance. We always want to be doing better. That was David. Zach said he was obsessed. He always wanted to do better, looking for the next thing. He wasn't content with ordinary treatment of God. If he wasn't writing a new song, he was admitting a new musical instrument. He wasn't content like Saul was, which is leaving the ark in someone's garage. He salted that the entire reign. Immediately when David was king, he moved the ark and showed the Lord some zeal, and he changed some things to be better. He wasn't content like Saul and all the other men were with God being worshipped in a tent. He wanted to change some things. He wanted to do better. And David mentioned, David Jones mentioned David's retirement years, and that's even when he was older, he wasn't content. He always was pressing. I want you to think about, Paul said he hadn't attained and we would look at Paul and be like, well, he did some pretty good things. He probably did. He didn't say that. And what about David? David would have had the exact same attitude. He attained as much or more than Paul, but he always was wanting to do better. He never slowed down. We can be like that. Let's always be looking to change things. Just to recap, do we delight in our great God? Do we love the works of God? Are we as passionate as we should be and zealous with that passion? Do we rule our spirits as well as we ought? And are we constantly pressing to be better and better for our Lord? We can do it. Lord, help us. Amen. Amen.